right side up or upside down next on the Midweek Move. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to the Midweek Move. I am Scott, and I, I've just got to tell you, I say this every week, but this week, it, I am just super pumped, not just for the chapter, not just for the book we're in, not just for the Bible study, but I am pumped because I have a super special guest today, a friend of mine. Uh, we connected recently, and in that connection, when I tell you um, there was a connection uh, I, you just need to know that there are some people you meet in your life that when you meet them, you're just like, oh yeah, this is a little bit more than just meeting somebody and an acquaintance. And that's how I felt about this guest. He's a pastor, he's a leader, he's a coach, he's an encourager. But more than that, what I love about this guy is he's not wrapped up in his titles and what he does, but his identity is solely focused on being a child of God. And uh, so my friend Jeff Hill is here uh, from Virginia yeah. Destiny Church uh, in Chester, Virginia. So Jeff, welcome to the Midweek Move, buddy. Glad to be here, Pastor. It's, good. it's just an honor to be here. If, if, if I told everybody you're quite literally a man who gives a shirt off his back uh, <laughs> the first time we <laughs> physically met, uh, I just jokingly, I could tell you were very similar in my makeup. I like to joke and I just jokingly, you, you were commenting on the shirt you had and I boy, I like your shirt. You're giving those away and you gave me yours. So you washed it and gave it folded to me in, in my uh, hotel room, had it delivered. So quite literally gave your shirt off your back. Yes, sir. Man, we love giving. We love to give. I love what Paul said about the Macedonians before he even talked about their giving. He said they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then out of that came this amazing uh, propensity for giving that they became known as. And I love the fact that I get to hang out with people just like you. Yeah. Our tribe is full of people who just love to give of themselves. And listen, if you're watching this today, that's a, that's what Jeff and I are going to do today. We're going to give away today. We're going to give away not our knowledge or our Bible doctrine or our uh, theological degrees. Man, we're just going to share with you today what we feel like the Lord's put on our heart from His Word, not from our opinion, but from His Word. And we're going to share that together. We're going to share that with one another. We're going to share that with you. Yep. And you guys are going to engage with us. And man, this midweek move is all about this is a moment. And in this moment, God created a moment so that he can create movement, growth, so we can take a next step in Jesus. So uh, we are in Acts chapter 17 today, everybody. You've been taking this journey with us, man. We've been, uh, listen, we've been, we've been laid out at the temple gate. We've been uh, laid out in the Holy Spirit at the temple steps. We've been in jail. We've been, we've seen the dead resurrected. We've seen pagans come to Jesus. We've seen, um, we've seen believers like Peter argue with God over a dream while a, while a kind of an unbelieving Gentile says yes to God immediately. And the Holy Spirit blows the place apart. We've seen the gospel go all over the place. And we've seen this amazing conversion of uh, a Saul becoming Paul. We've taken this journey, and it brings us to Acts chapter 17. So we begin in verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphiphylus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Now, I think it's interesting right here, uh, Jeff, that we find ourselves immediately speaking about the Jews in Thessalonica, because when you think of Thessalonica, you kind of think the other side of the, the fence on the Greek side, but yet here is a synagogue of Jews in Thessalonica, and it says that Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbath reasons with them the scriptures. Now, Let's just stop right here. I know we got a lot of verses, but we want to make sure that we we key in on several aspects of this. And here's one aspect that I'd like for Jeff to kind of dive in a little bit. What makes it so important here, Jeff, that Paul is reaching into the synagogue with Jews? And what is so special about Paul that he can kind of bridge this gap in Jew and in the Gentile world? Yeah, you know, when I think of Paul, I love these stories because... I believe that some people need an explanation and some people need a demonstration. And Paul was mm -hmm. powerful in both. And the fact that he had a custom of reasoning uh, tells me that 
even in our Christian faith and in our walk, we need to think logically. We, we don't have to be, uh, it's, it's not one way or the other. And, and so many times you see that in, in the body of Christ, sometimes there's extremes that you either are one, you're prophetic, but you're not practical or you're practical, not prophetic. And I believe that we can be both. So the fact that he's in a, a place where he's reasoning tells me that he was practical. Uh, he was logical, and yet he was also powerful. And so that's that's what stands out to me about Paul. It's why I enjoy him so much. I enjoy his writings more than any other New Testament writing writer because his his um, he has a he has a a pattern. If you study it, he's always he's always um, in in some ways he's ideological to start out with, and then he gets practical. and And the practical is always on the foundation of the theological background that he gives. So he doesn't just stay in a reasoning mindset uh, where it's ideological. He gets practical, and I just love that about him. So I don't know if you have more to say about it, uh, or if you. Think more about that. Yeah, and, you know, I, I really like to say, you know, when I first gave my life to Christ, it was so radical. The transformation was so radical that, man, I went from 100 for the enemy to 100 for Jesus. And in the midst of that passion and that prophetic gift that I didn't even know at the time was a prophetic gift. I didn't even know what the prophetic was. But I had this amazing prophetic gift, but I didn't have a whole lot of wisdom. <laughs> and, and there wasn't a whole lot of reasoning going on. It was more just like, boom, this is what the Lord's saying. And probably back in those days, I was kind of one of those guys that's like, two are in the field and nobody's going. <laughs> like, like, it was just, this, it was just so passionate and powerful. But it came, from a, it came from a very pure place because I knew that I finally knew the truth. Like I, I finally had an answer to all the voids that I was trying to fill in my own life. And I just wanted to express that to everybody that was around me. But yet in that, I didn't, I didn't open myself to a lot of discernment and wisdom. And so I had that, 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 that prophetic, but I didn't have that practical, that, that wisdom to go with it. And I think you're right on point with Paul. Paul's this amazing bridge between Jew and Gentile. Mm-hmm. And what we're going to see here in a little bit is Jew and Gentile process differently. Yes. They, they process totally different. Yeah. And Paul recognized that. But in some sense, he recognized it to the point of actually giving them the opposite of the way they processed, mm-hmm. which I love. Yeah. Because if you seek wisdom, guess what you're missing? The prophetic. Yeah. If you seek a sign, guess what you're missing? The wisdom. So... In the midst of all this, we see Paul as this amazing bridge, almost like Samuel was in the Old Testament of judge to prophet. We almost see this same bridge with Paul with the Jew and the Gentiles. Yes, it's good. All right. So verse three, explaining, here it is. You said it, explaining and demonstrating. He wasn't just explaining, but he was demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer to rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is a Christ. And another thing I love about Paul, he is leaving no doubt who he serves. He's not talking about a God. He's not talking Mm -hmm. about some God. He's talking about the God. He's not talking about a prophet or a savior. He's talking about the savior. I think so many times, listen, if you're watching this today, if you're listening to this, so many times as believers, we talk more about church, being a good person, And we don't put Jesus out there. And we leave doubt when we leave conversations with people of not only who we serve, but what we believe. And if, if, if we leave a conversation and they don't know we're a follower of Jesus, we've done something wrong. There should be no doubt. Paul, although he's trying to bridge a gap and be relevant and all those things, he's definitely leaving no, he's leaving no doubt. Yeah who the focal point is. He's pointing it all to Jesus. You know, and Scott, when you mentioned that, it it makes me think of what you just said previously about when you first got saved. The reason you were passionate was because you didn't, you weren't passionate about a doctrine. You weren't passionate about um, some ideology. You were passionate because you met a person and you realized Mm -hmm. that person is real. Paul's preaching about Jesus because he met Jesus. Um, He interacted with Jesus. Had an encounter with Jesus, so it's not it's not that we're leading people to a theology or even a morality. We're leading them to a That's person, right. and when we miss that, the the reason we start to do that is because we we don't have a living, breathing, up to date relationship with the Lord ourselves. When we're talking to Him, walking with Him, we're not giving people a mindset. We're giving Him a man uh, named Jesus, and that's yep. what Paul was doing. 
And here's the thing, Jeff, is that Paul could have reasoned with the Jews without the Holy Spirit mm. because he was raised in the school. He yeah. was raised in the law. He was, learn he was a learned man. He was more educated than most of the ones who were coming yep. against him. He could have reasoned with them all day long without the Holy Spirit. But it says not only did he reason with them, but he demonstrated... Yes. Because he's the same guy that says, I didn't come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but power and demonstration mm -hmm. of the Holy Spirit. Yes. So both and all over again. Okay, verse 4, and some of them were persuaded. I love this because not all of them were persuaded. Listen, God has not anointed us or even called us to, to lead every single person to Jesus. He is simply anointed us to make his name known, to point people to Jesus. It doesn't mean that everybody is going to receive Christ. Man, Jeff, I can remember as a young pastor, man, man, if the altars weren't packed when the call came, I was depressed until Tuesday. <laughs> like, I was under a dark cloud, like, man, I, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but no, man, I can no. just remember... I can remember thinking, man, this is a word. This is going to change the earth. Like, and I get up, man, and I bring that word, and I know it's a word from the Lord. And then at the end, it's like, you're supposed to be the closer now. Come on, close the deal, you know, and you, you kind of give that pull, and you're like naming off 714,000 sins just so one person will respond to something and nobody comes. And it's like, I would, I would drive home that afternoon, and Tanya would be like, she would immediately go into encouraging mode because she knew she knew he's going to be in bed tonight. He's going to he's going to wake up late tomorrow morning. He's not going to want to go in the office because I thought that it was my job to pull everybody to Jesus. And I love the fact that Paul yes. never allowed those things to to take root in his life. Some were persuaded. OK, cool. Now we're going to move on to the next thing. Right. That's never happened to you, right? No, I, you know, discouragement never happens to me. I glow in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the way, though, as pastors? Like, it's almost like we're trained in the pastoral ministry yeah. to, man, if everybody doesn't come, man, here's what I found, is that when you're obedient to deliver the Word of God, sometimes people can't respond. Yeah. They can't even move from their seat. Yes. They can't even they they can't even process what the Holy Spirit and what I love about the last six months here at the Healing Place, I think more transformation has happened in people's living rooms on Sunday afternoon wow. after the gathering than has happened in the building. Wow, wow. Which that's what we're after anyway. Yeah. I don't care where transformation happens. Yeah. I just want it to happen. Yeah. No, and and you know what stands out to me when I read this verse earlier it was that. Some of the Jews were persuaded, as did a large number of Greek, uh, God-fearing Greeks and a few prominent women. So in other words, it seemed as if, and this is biblically accurate, God was really wanting to do something in Paul's life. It wasn't about the, the um, it wasn't just that the Jews weren't responding. It was the fact that God was pushing him into a ministry toward uh, the non-Jew. And so he, he was seeing results with the non-Jewish, the Greek, um, and the, the Gentiles, but not as much with the Jews. And I, I feel like it was just one of those things. Sometimes, you know, even what you were just talking about, Scott, I've looked back over our ministry and just seen seasons where it seemed like, it. why, why isn't it working like it used to work? Why isn't God working like he yeah. used to do? And it was because he was turning yep. a chapter. God was changing a season. And, you know, usually when he's changing a season or turning the chapter, those are usually the most difficult seasons. But Paul obviously navigated it well, and he he began to realize that God had called him to the to the Gentile church. What I love about that too, again, just from a perspective of wisdom, is that he didn't leave the Jews because they because they didn't respond to him. Um, just because That's someone right. doesn't respond doesn't mean we we wash our feet or wash the dust off our feet, you know, and say, well, I guess it's not your, you know, I guess you're 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 not qualified or you're not open. I've watched people mm -hmm. who didn't respond for years suddenly began yeah. to grow. One of, one of them's on That's our staff right. watched, uh, you know, he, he just walked through a very difficult season, wasn't responding. It was a difficult time, but then out of nowhere, it was like God began to, to open his heart. He began to respond. And so I, I 
wholeheartedly understand what you're saying about when people don't respond to us. And we've heard this. People that are watching this podcast know this, that we're not responsible for the results. God is. Um, and, and I love that saying, don't judge the, uh, judge the success of your life by the fruit that you bear, but the seeds that you sow. Um, we're sowing seeds constantly. And in this passage, yeah. you know, Paul was sowing seeds. Some responded um, of, of the Jews, but a large number responded to the Greeks. And I think it's uh, from the Greeks. And I think it's something to, to watch. You know, we don't, <laughs> we don't always know what God's doing. Rarely do we know what God's doing, but he's always doing something. Yeah, and I've always wondered why, if we're after an eternal reward, why are we judging that by worldly numbers? Yeah. If we're after eternal treasures, the fruit that remains, yeah. and the fruit that remains is that which is eternal. Yeah. You can do good things on the earth, but if it's not in the name of Jesus, I can give a cup of cold water and it, it refreshes somebody. But if I give it in Jesus' name, it takes on a supernatural uh, impact, yeah. which gives it eternal value. And one thing I love about verse 4 is a multitude of devout Greeks. Like these are not people who are sitting on the fence. Like these are people that are all in with a Greek mindset and not a few of the leading women. This is huge. If you're the Jews and you're watching this, you're not only mad that he's reaching out to the Greeks, but you have to be (laughs) furious that women are coming into this thing. Prominent women are being brought into the kingdom of God and being put into places of even what we know later on in leadership within the body of Christ. And I know that kind of goes against the grain for a lot of people, but man, that's what's happening in the scriptures, and that's what we look at. All right, verse 5. An interesting scenario takes place. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. It didn't say right side up. It said upside down. Basically, these people are turning everything that we know as our worldview upside down. They're talking, they're acting, they're demonstrating, they're speaking counter to what our worldview is. And what is happening is the disciples, the apostles, they are bringing a kingdom mindset to the earth, and it is not bringing peace in every household. It's bringing division. Verse 7, Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Now, Jason, he really hasn't done anything. He's just been associated with these guys. And here he his household's taken the full brunt of everything just by being associated. It would have been very easy for Jason to go, nope, don't know him. I'm not. No way, man. Don't have nothing to do with it. But from everything we've seen, uh, he doesn't do that. Uh, man, there's a cost, yes. right? Jeff, there is a cost. Yes to following Christ. Yeah. And it goes into what you just said. And I know I don't want to beat a dead horse, but you know, when you, when you say yes to Jesus, not just as a, I believe we're all in ministry. Um, you could be a truck driver and you're in ministry. You could be a janitor. You're in ministry. If you're a single mom, you are definitely in ministry. And again, um, we, we tend to believe that if we serve Jesus perfectly, we're never going to have any, any pushback from others. They're going to like us. I, I had that belief. I thought, boy, if I, if I just am just like Jesus, everybody's going to like me. Um, but most of his disciples left him. Paul here preaches the gospel and people are starting talking about him stirring up the crowd against him. and But the truth is, our reward isn't even results. Our reward is Jesus. Our reward is his presence. Yep. Um, he he said right. to Abraham, I am your exceeding great reward. Um, you know, many, many times in, in, in my life, being discouraged with results or pushback, or we call them sometimes the... Uh, the leadership kickback that you have in, in life when you're following Jesus. Um, Psalm 16 has ministered to me greatly. And actually, when I, we get on into this p- chapter, it reminded me of Psalm 16, where David said, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. I have a goodly 
uh, inheritance. And one translation said, you are my portion and my cup. Mm -hmm. There's something powerful about being uh, Jesus's hands and feet where we, we actually come to a point where we're not even, we're not even looking at the results. The results are awesome when they're, when they're coming in, that's fun. When they're not coming in, that that's not as fun, but man, his presence makes the difference. I would rather be in walking through a difficult season with his presence than living on a beach without his presence. And I think Paul got that. Um, and, but the concept that, that is, I think you're getting to Scott is that just because we're getting kickback doesn't mean that we're doing something wrong. It may, it may mean we're actually doing something right. That's right. That's right. All right. Verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. So they were in Thessalonica. Now they head over into Berea. Verse 11. They were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So it seems like in Berea, we have some people who are actually hungry. They're, 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 they're thirsting for truth. They know there's something else out there. Verse 13, um, verse 12, therefore many of them believed and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. Now we're in a different location and the same thing is happening. Prominent Greeks are coming to Christ and not just men, but women. So it's creating almost a pattern here that Jesus is not Jesus didn't just die on the cross for Jewish men. He didn't just die on the cross for like Jesus died for everyone and all are welcome to come into this kingdom. So then it says in verse 13, but when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowd. So now they're like, oh, he's doing it over here. All right, let's go there and let's stir something up there. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. So now he's in Berea. Now they're taking him away to Athens. And now we're going to see, we're going to see a, a even deeper mindset of that, that, uh, Greek uh, reasoning that has taken such a depth that there are worship of all manner of things, not just a God, but statues, uh, literature, uh, the arts. They have made these things an object of worship that Paul is about to deal with. So while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. I love this. Paul's waiting for him, but he's like, look, I'm waiting for them, but God's already at work here. Like the spirit of God is provoking. I can't just sit here on a park bench and wait for those guys to show up. I need to go tell somebody about Jesus. Uh, I'm reminded when I read this, I was reminded of going to India uh, with a guy from the church and, and we were headed over and we had like, it was one of those times when you go to another country and they want to do everything they can within a certain amount of time. So it was like 11 days or something like that. And I think I was preaching like 27 times in 11 days or something like that. Wow. It was just crazy. And so we're heading over and we go through London and, and me and Dave are in London and we're like, uh, hey, we've got a layover. Let's jump on the tube. Let's go to Buckingham Palace. Let's do that. So we did that. We kind of checked everything out. We prophesied to a couple of people, jumped on the tube, went back, got on the plane, went to India. Get to India. David goes through. He's never been to India before. He goes on the other side. Pastor Ivan meets him. I'm on the other side of the wall. I give my, my visa. They look at it and they're like, no. And they take me to a cell and the visa company had put the wrong stamp on my passport and nothing could be done. They were sending me out. So they took me underneath the airport. They took me underneath the plane, stuck me on the plane, and I was on the seat right across the aisle from the seat that I had just arrived on in that same plane. And they sent me back to London. I, I called David and I said, hey, man, they're sending me back. I can't. You're going to have to do all the preaching on this. I know it's your first time there, but man. So I went back to London. Nothing could be done. All my luggage was sent back to Dallas, and I was in London. 
called my assistant, said, hey, get me a hotel. I feel like the Lord wants me to be in London. I'm not going to wait around for anybody to say, come back to India. There's a purpose in this. So I'm going to stay here. She books me a hotel. I jump on the tube. I get off at Buckingham Palace. Every place we had walked at beforehand, 10 hours earlier, I was walking, and my hotel was at the end of the alleyway of where we had been 10 hours before. I walk into the hotel. The lady goes, we've heard about you. We've brought you from the second floor to the first floor. We've given you our best room. We can't believe what's happened to you. I go in the room and there's a neon flashing light coming through the curtains and I open it up and it says authentic Indian cuisine. (laughs) Of all rooms, of all things. And I just decided, man, God's got something in this. I didn't have any clothes. Tanya packed me some undergarments in my backpack. That's all I had. And for four days, I just jumped on the tube, went from east, west, north, and south, just prophesying to people all over London because God had something in it. Paul is like, look, I'm not going to sit here and wait. My spirit is provoked. Like, I've got to do something. It would have been easy for me to jump on a plane and come back to Dallas and come back home. But I was provoked inside and God going, and that's what's happening with Paul here. He is provoked in the spirit of not waiting on man, but God is saying, listen, look around you. Pay attention to what's happening around you. It's good. All right. You got anything on that, Jeff? No, I just want to hear more stories. That's awesome. <laughs> did, did you get good right, food, verse, and did you get to minister to the to the owners or anybody there in that in, in that restaurant? Oh yeah, we there was tons of there were crazy opportunities. I went to the auth, very authentic Doctor Who shop, the Doctor Who shop, which my team was so thankful for. We got some geekdom and some nerd nerdville going on in my team, and the Doctor Who shop, and. Yeah, I, I prophesied to somebody outside Buckingham Palace. I laid hands on somebody that was sick um, over by the big Ferris wheel thing. I uh, I preached the gospel at Westminster, wow. uh, right outside of Westminster um, with a small group of people. Uh, it was crazy four days. That's awesome. I washed my undergarments in the sink every single day and wore the same clothes. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hopefully they were dry awesome. at the end. It was a true mission trip. It was awesome. That's awesome. All right, verse 17. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue. Here he is again. And I love this about Paul. He's not changing. He's not changing necessarily his pattern. He's he's doing the disciplines. So many times we think that, oh man, I'm in a new season. I've got to change. You know, listen, just because you're in a new season or a new place doesn't mean you don't need to read the word of God every single day. Doesn't mean that you don't need to pray every single day doesn't mean that you don't need to function in the way that God has called you to function. Hey, Scott, every single could day. I ask yeah. a question? Sure. I'd love your thoughts on this. Paul says it often in his writings that whoever he's writing to, whether Colossians or Galatians, he'll say to them, hold on to the pattern of teaching that you first mm-hmm. learned. What do you think that pattern was? It was a pattern well, of I living, think, but what, what do you, do you, do you have any insight on that? I'm, I'm putting you on the spot, aren't I? Yeah. Well, I, I think that pattern was, uh, and I think we find it in the, in, in the writings of Paul, that that pattern of quote unquote theology was Christ and him crucified. I know that for a fact because he goes on to talk about that in his letters. That was the basis of every single thing. And then going back to Acts chapter two and Acts chapter four, they continued in apostles doctrine and fellowship. All those things to me were the pattern of teaching. It wasn't just about doctrine, but it was about fellowship. Living. It was about meeting house to yep. house. It was about praying. It was about, it wasn't just about going to the if you're a Jew going to the synagogue at the hour of prayer, it was about doing it outside of that in the marketplace as well. So I think there was a, a pattern, but I think it was maybe more inclusive than maybe we think when we read yep. his his letters, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, the reason I thought of it is when you said that about he was holding on to the disciplines uh, no matter where he was, there was some sort of pattern that he that he taught. Um, and, you know, one of the, one of the, things that we say here often is that uh, repetition is the motor of learning. You, you, we have to have some sort of repetition. Sometimes we think repetition is religion. It's not. 
Um, no. it's religion is, is really getting into why you do what you do, but there was a pattern that he had. And I would, I was just curious if you've ever thought about that because he told, he yeah. told Timothy what you've seen in me, what you've heard of me that do, um, you know, the multiple times he, he shared that there was a pattern that they lived by and, and, and you, you would have to have it because if you're teaching Greeks, um, who have no concept of one God or that Jesus is God. I mean, the Corinthian church was made up of Greek uh, Christians. And so there was a lot of challenges that he had. So I was just curious if you ha had any insight on that, Scott. Yeah. And I think it's Im important that when we talk about these things, I, I never understood why people would not apply the same things to the spiritual things as they do in their own life. Yeah. If you create something, if you craft something, you're going to work on your craft. You're not going to let your skills diminish. You're going to hone your craft. If you are good at what you do, you are not apathetic. You are not standing still. You're honing that craft. You're also learning. You are a learner. You're not just a teacher. You're a learner. Every great teacher is a great learner. That is that is, that is the root of teaching and learning 101. If you are a great teacher, you are also a great learner. That's good. You, you haven't reached a pinnacle. You're not the, you're not the you know, only voice. You know, the, the big difference between pharaohs and fathers are pharaohs will never raise up a servant to be greater than them, but fathers will also always allow their children my ceiling, your floor. Oh. My ceiling, your floor. I want you to be greater That's than good. me. I'm going to learn, 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 and I'm going to teach, teach, teach. I'm going to keep growing, but I'm going to make space for you to grow beyond That's where good. I've even gone. So I think that when we talk about, you know, I, I started roasting coffee as a hobby. Mm. Well, it kind of went more than a hobby, and now it's more than a hobby. Well, I'm not just satisfied with what I'm doing. I'm learning different things so that it can be better because I want it to be the best it can possibly be for the people who are drinking that cup of coffee in Jesus. My name, wife is going to love that. You better bring some with you when you come. Oh, I am. I'm bringing multiple bags. Good, to good, you guys. Good. Yep. No doubt. All right. So here's the, here's the key in Athens. He reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happen to be there. Basically, he's going in the temple and he's going, okay, let me go out. Let me jump on the tube and go to Buckingham Palace and prophesy to people. Like he's like, he's like, it's I've not just been called to inside the synagogue or the place of worship. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, What does this babbler want to say? I think it's um, pretty interesting that immediately the philosophers come. And instead of just asking a question, they're diminishing who he is. They're, they're name-calling already. They don't even know the full story, and they're already coming against him with some kind of threat or some kind of diminished, you know, oh, this guy isn't on my level. Although Paul could have philosophized with the best of them and could have outdone them, but that wasn't what he was called to do. Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods, plural, because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. I love that, that the fact they're like, we don't know what you're saying, but we want to know more. Not everybody's like that, but this crew is like that. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. So here's where we have that the Greeks seek wisdom to the point of philosophy, to the point of there is no end, there is no truth. Everything is relative. There's always another argument. There's always another philosophy. There is no absolute truth. But then you had the Jews who sought a sign. And so now what we're going to begin to see is Paul, he's been reasoning, but what we will end up seeing is that Greeks will experience a supernatural power and they will see dead people come to life. They will see healings. They will see all these things and Greeks will come in and then Paul will reason with Jews who are seeking a sign with wisdom. And that's what I love is that when you know your crowd, when you know what the Lord is speaking, that I don't have to be a crack addict to reach a crack addict. That's good. 
Like, I don't have to have 19 degrees to reach a professor for Jesus. I can actually come at them at a place they don't even see coming because it's a void they have in their life. If somebody's seeking a sign, they probably don't need another sign. They need some teaching. They need some wisdom. But if they're looking for wisdom and it's only wisdom, they probably need to see something supernatural to bring the whole entire picture together, which is what you pointed out at the beginning. All right. Where was I? You are in. All right. Verse 22. All right. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious, which I think is pretty interesting because they probably didn't necessarily see themselves as religious. They're philosophers, a higher truth, a greater plane. We would probably lay it over into new age in the day that we live in. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. So he's saying there is an absolute God. You don't even know it. <laughs> and you don't even know that, that that's what you're looking for. And that's what you're seeking. And I do think it's interesting that he said, considering the objects of your worship. And I wonder to myself, did they even realize that those were objects of worship? Mm. It's almost like in our current culture, Jeff, of American uh, 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 American worship. Like we build 50-foot statues of athletes, and people stand in front of them, and they lay things at the feet of these things. Do wow. they even realize that that becomes an object of worship? They just wow. simply think, I mean, I'm a sports fan, wow. right? I'm just a sports fan, man. I'm a sports fanatic. Yeah. Well, you, really? You, know what, you yeah. know what comes to mind when you said that is that um, – what, what stuck out to me when I read this was that he he was so wise in finding an end. Um, yeah. So if we're if our culture, which it does, worships Hollywood, worships sports, you know, it's a great it's a great. Um, I mean, I, I enjoy football. My team lost horribly last night. The Steelers lost horribly, but you know, it, for me, I I use it as a bridge. I use it as an end. Um, Paul found what they worshipped, and instead of just rebuking them and and berating them, like you said, Scott, they they probably didn't even know what they were worshiping. He found a way yep. to use it to his advantage to bring Christ. And you know, you know, Bishop Thomas always used to say, "We we've got to be bridge builders, and you got to yep. find ways to." To find out what they're listening to, what are their influencers? Who are there? Who are who? Are, what are they worshiping? And not that we worship what they worship, but we need to be able to speak their language. And Paul spoke their language. So, verse twenty-four: God, who made the world and everything in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is He worshipped with men's hands, as though He needed anything, since He gives life to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Man, that quote right there, that is something we stand on here at the Healing Place. Is, is Acts 17, 28, which is it's in him we live and we move and we have our being. We always like to say, you know, our vision is be who God created you to be, know what God is saying, and do what God says, mm. period. Wow. Identity, relationship, purpose. That's good. As long as you're secure in your identity, then you can have a relationship with him. You can know what he's saying. And when you know what he says, then you can do what he says. In him we live and we move and we have our being. And what Paul is saying is, Everything is in him. And it goes to your point earlier, Jeff. We're not after peace. We're after a person. Mm -hmm. And he is peace. Yeah. We're not after rest. We're after a person. And he is rest. We're not even after a Sabbath rest. He is our Sabbath. That's one of the things the Pharisees had such an issue with Jesus is they would, they would quote all these laws and Jesus was going, no, I'm in all that. Like, I'm all that. Well, what about this man with a withered hand on the Sabbath? No, I am the Sabbath. Yeah. Like, I love the fact that in that thing with the man with the withered hand, Jesus was saying, I gave this man a Sabbath rest. Wow. Because if your body is broken, yeah. there is no rest. Yeah. There's no rest for your soul, your spirit, because you're broken. Yeah. 
But he brought wholeness, which that whole shalom peace means nothing missing, nothing broken. Oh. Jesus literally brought the man a Sabbath rest. And yet they were still mad because he did it on the Sabbath. And Jesus was going, it's not about a day. <laughs> you know, Paul goes on to say, you know, Jesus nailed all the, all the holy days to the cross. It's like Jesus was saying, you're so focused on the day that you're missing the moment. Listen, don't be, if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, don't be so focused on the minutia of the daily. It has to be on this day. It has to happen this way. We're not after any of that. We're after Jesus mm -hmm. because he is the one that's going to provide all that. If I have to absolutely take two days off a week, there's probably something missing in my pursuit of Jesus. Mm. Because in him there is rest. It doesn't mean that I don't need a day off, but it does mean that if I am after Jesus, if I am pursuing Christ, if I am in Christ, then I have a rest. That's good. I can find when I'm the most tired is when I'm not fully invested in Christ. Oh. Not, that, not a salvation thing, but a focus thing. Yeah, that's good. That I can tell you that my sole focus isn't Jesus. I've been distracted. Wow. Good. And that's why I'm tired. Wow. It's not because I need 10 hours of sleep. I don't need 10 hours of sleep. I need four hours of rest. Wow. <laughs> because if I can get four hours of rest, it can feel like 10 hours of sleep. Wow, that's good. Because Jesus is our rest. That's and good. so many times our language betrays us as believers. What we say and what we're after is actually not Jesus. It's actually a thing. It's mm, good. And that's what the that's the Greeks' issue is statues. And, and Paul goes on to say, he says, For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Paul's even saying, it's not in all of that. He's taking him back to a person. Verse 30, truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Now he's bringing it back because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, talking about Jesus. He is giving assurance to this, to all by raising him from the dead. He goes to the resurrection, not just the crucifixion. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Not everybody, but some joined them and believed. Among them, Dionysus, the Aeropagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Man, Paul brings it right back. Like he used the end, just like you said, but he didn't leave it with some kind of conjecture or some kind of shadow. He brought it right back to Christ and him crucified and his resurrection. Paul's going, he's not still on the cross. <laughs> like he's, he's not there. He's resurrected and he's given you an opportunity to come into that. Man, I, this chapter is amazing. Awesome. Good stuff. Scott, what did so you thoughts, say? Man. I, I just, I just took some notes here. Did you say that Shalom, sorry to, I hope this isn't backtracking, but did you say that no, the word good. Shalom means nothing missing, nothing broken? Yes. That's powerful. Shalom is a wholeness. It means wholeness. Mm. And it literally, the, the Hebraic meaning is nothing missing, nothing broken. Wow. So good. Shalom, wow. peace. That's why, that's why shalom is so important. That's why that even that terminology is so important because it gives a connotation of that you don't need anything else. Yeah. And in that, there is rest. Wow. So good. Because if you have everything that you need, there's no anxiety, there's no fear, there's no worry, there's no doubt because you have everything you need. So Perfect good. shalom. And I love the fact that Paul, although he takes this in with the poets and the statues and all the different things, he still brings it back to the person. Yeah. He, he doesn't take the easy way out of, hey, I'm going to witness by leaving everything vague. No, they don't need vague. They need Jesus. Yeah. Like, and, and I love the fact that he left no room for the culture to engage with his own spirit. Mm -hmm. 
He left no room for that, but then he left no doubt where his allegiance lied, and that was with Jesus. That's so good. He left him with Jesus, and I love it that he didn't leave him with Jesus on the cross, and he didn't leave him with Jesus in the grave, but he left him with the resurrected Christ that every single one of them, Greek and Jew, would now be open to being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit so they could live out that resurrection power. Good stuff. Very good stuff. You know, I, I was just, uh, as you were uh, reading, just looking at a theme for this whole chapter of even what we discussed, because Holy Spirit always has something He wants to say. You know, right before we got on, I was just praying because I know, I don't know, most, I won't know any of the people that are going to view this. And, um, but truthfully, except Destiny Church people, Destiny, they're going to yeah, watch I might this. Know them. That's true. You're going to force <laughs> them to watch this. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm at, in your neck of the woods. By the way, I don't know if you mentioned this. I, I can't remember, but I'm in Chester, Virginia, just south of Richmond. So this is quite yes. a distance. I know it's a fairly ba- close background, um, but Scott and I are long distance friends here. Um, but yeah, I was just thinking about how God loves to minister to people. And that's that that's the the heart behind what you're doing, Scott, is that whoever's watching this doesn't just get head knowledge, but they get a presence of of Jesus um in the in the conversation that we have. And that's what's beautiful about even having a conversation like this is he moves in on conversations yep. about him. And so I was just meditating on Lord, what 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 are you trying to say through this discussion? And when you said that about peace, it is almost a theme that Paul was, you know, in good report and bad report, honor and dishonor, he was at peace. Um, I believe that he knew what he was doing when he brought up the resurrection in that moment. It wasn't just he was giving a theology. He was poking the bear, but he wanted to give the full gospel, um, knowing that it was going to ruffle feathers, but... In that ruffling the feathers of the crowd, there was a few that were were hungry and thirsty yep. and wanted to know Jesus. And um, and Paul, because his roots were not down into um, you know the results of his ministry, his roots were not down into how he was feeling in the moment or what the his finger was not in the wind about how the crowd felt about him. He was not running a popularity campaign. He was. His roots were down into the person of Jesus Christ. And because of the person of Jesus Christ, um, he had peace. He had confidence. He had the fear of God, not the fear of man. And there, that's what we all need, isn't it? That's what, yeah, that, that sense of, of his presence. And that's why I think we connect, Scott, because um, Kimberly and I just realized that we are just, we're here for him. Not, not even, not yeah. even for the people. The people come and go. That's right. Um, the uh, the crowd loved him one minute and wanted to stone him the next. But it's yep. it's the presence of Jesus. And my prayer is even whoever's listening to this or watching this, even the presence of Jesus would encourage you, um, even as we're talking, because we we serve a God who is real, living. In Him we live and move and have our being. He's a forgiving right. God, a merciful God. Uh, his mercies are new every morning, and that's that's a beautiful thing. So, Scott, I just appreciate you inviting me on the on the show, and it's been an awesome thing to to be a part part of. Okay, so Jeff, I know you're an action step guy. I know that you're a guy that's like, okay, this is this is really awesome. But there is there has to be an application to my life. There has to be a next step that I need to take, and. And in our lingo here at The Healing Place, that's moments create movement. You know, every moment that God gives us should create some kind of movement, some kind of growth. So out of this whole Acts 17, what would you, like, your, this is your ending, mm-hmm. kind of, this is your grace be with you, um, uh, uh, Greeks, grace be with you, Jews. Paul would always give this amazing intro, but then he would always give this, hey, here's what you need to do now. <laughs> So what would be your your action step to share with everyone that may be watching this or listening to this? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm definitely not going to be as profound as Paul or as um, Scott, for that matter. But I would say you can't give what you don't have. Um, you've got to know him. You have to have, you have to, to know his presence. And I'm not saying like, you know, you feel the goosebumps and, and giggles every day. But there's there's a point where you're, you're meeting with Jesus. You have experienced 
him forgiving you. Um, you've experienced his, his, um, his peace when you, when, you, when you don't deserve it. Um, you've experienced yep. him, whether it's in a church service, whether it's in your bedroom, whether it's in your car, um, you'll never, we cannot give what we don't have. So we, in order to give to the Jews and to the Greeks, to those who like us and those who don't like us, the ones who receive us and the ones we don't, we have to know him. Paul yep. did not preach doctrine. He, pro he preached Jesus. And Jesus, it yep. was, it involved doctrine. It involved reasoning, but it was presence. Everything he did was with a presence of the person of Jesus. And so if, if, if the takeaway for me is, it always comes back to the secret place. It always comes back to knowing him personally and intimately. And then there's, there's always sub points to that of, you know, to the Greek, I'm a Greek, to the Jew, I'm a Jew. Um, some need an explanation, some need a demonstration. I'm all things to all people. I'm gonna be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. Um, and, and I'm going to still reach people. I mean, to your point, uh, Scott, wherever you are, whether your flight is delayed, whether you get kicked out of a country, be all there. Give Jesus to the people yeah. that you're around. Yeah. And I love the fact that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He's also the building itself. We are living stones, which actually in him, he's building that too. And then he fills the entire building with himself. So it is all in all Amen. and we are just glad to be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves yes because Amen. it is it is jesus 24 7 it is all him um and it really is in him that we live and we move and we have our being all right awesome jeff thanks so much buddy uh for joining us uh hey everybody let us know what you think uh communicate with us uh, connect with us on all of our platforms. Uh, let us know um, how this is affecting you. How are you growing? Let us know that. We want to know that. We want to know this is valuable to you so that we will uh, not be content creators. We don't necessarily want to be content creators or known as that. Man, we just want to be known as disciples of Jesus. Man, just people that are following Jesus and making him known on the entire earth. And we want to help provide in the middle of a week a moment for you and in that moment, we want to help you to grow in him because we know that if you're in him, man, everything else is gravy, so to speak. And uh, again, we love you guys. Thanks for joining us today on the Midweek Move and uh, have a great evening.